The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamualaikum and welcome to the Book Club Show on Inspire 105.1 FM. My name is Imran Mahmoud. Today we are, I'm so, so excited. I've got an amazing panel of guests with me in our virtual studio today discussing um, a beautiful anthology called Cut from the Same Cloth. Uh, the little um, subheading is Muslim Women on Life in Britain. It's been edited by Sabine Akhtar, who is in the studio with me today, alongside a few of the other contributors. Um, so what I'll do is I'm going to just start with um, a bit of a blurb, um, read the blurb from the back to give you an idea of what this book is about. And then we will have um, an interesting conversation, hopefully, inshallah, with our guests today. Um, so the blurb itself begins with, uh, from modern pop culture to anti-blackness, faith and family, politics, education, creativity and working life. This anthology gives visibly Muslim women a space to speak. Um, there's a spoiler alert, we won't be answering the usual questions. Perceived as the visual representation of Islam, hijab-wearing Muslim women are nevertheless rarely afforded a platform on their own terms. Harangued by awkward questions, radical commentators sensationalising our existence, non-Muslims and non-hijabis making assumptions, men speaking on our behalf, or stereotypical norms being perpetuated by the same old cases, <coughs> hijabis are tired. Cut from the same cloth seeks to tip the balance back in our favour. Here, 21 women of all ages and races look beyond the tired tropes, exploring the breadth of our experience and spirituality. It's time we, as a society, stop with the hijab screening and make space for the women who know. So that is an awesome, awesome um, blurb. And I was really, really happy to receive uh, my copy in the post. I started reading it straight away. Um, and I, I had actually just, um, I think I was just saying on social media, when I unpacked um, my uh, book, my daughter saw it. So my 11-year-old um, looked at it and she's like, oh, look, there's, there's women wearing hijab in the cover. And it was a really warm moment, I think, for me and my daughter just to be able to see that. Because definitely, I think, um, growing up, I don't think I could ever have imagined to, you know, I know we talk a lot about representation. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about that today with our um, guests as well. But, you know, these things, they're important. And I think they, they do have a profound effect, even if, um, even if I think it's you know, sometimes a bit incremental over time. Um, so coming on to um, our guests for today. So I will just a short blurbs, I think, or biogs um, for the um, contributors. So Sabina Akhtar is a writer, editor, and an arts and culture programmer working across a variety of literature festivals. She is the festival coordinator of Bear Lit, and, um, which is the UK's principal festival celebrating remarkable writers in the diaspora. Uh, she's also a senior programmer at the WOW Foundation. Um, so assalamu alaikum to Sabina. Wa alaikum salam Imran. I'm so happy to be with you today. Thank you for inviting us on. Thank you so much for giving um, up your uh, wonderful rainy sunshine morning to, to be with us. Um, so I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today. Uh, we also have on the um, panel today Sumadin, who has also been on the show previously. But today, um, we obviously we're going to be talking um, to Suma about her contribution to Cut from the Same Cloth. Um, so Suma is an author and freelance researcher based in Buckinghamshire. Uh, her titles focus on social justice, education, faith 
and women. She taught in the supplementary and education sector for many years and has written non-fiction resources for children. Um, and you know, I'm just to just to tell our listeners, I'm giving a very very short um, snippet of the amazing things um, that the ladies have, have achieved. So um, you know, forgive me for that. It's just the time. Um, so assalamualaikum, Sima. How are you this morning? Really great to see you again, talk to you again, and um, yeah, looking forward to this conversation. And I've done, I've done a train run as well, not a school run, but a train station oh, run. Oh, a train run. Okay, that's a new one. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah, when you've got big kids, then you drop yeah. into the train station. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's great. Thank you. Um, we also are joined today by um, Dr. Hija Al-Shayal um, is a specialist in British Muslim history based at the University of Edinburgh. Her research looks at activism, advocacy and political engagement um, among British Muslims. She's the author of Muslim Identity Politics, Islam, Activism and Equality in Britain, amongst others. Um, Assalamualaikum, Hija, how are you? Assalamualaikum, uh, I'm okay. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with you guys. Um, yeah, I confess I haven't done a school run because we're on holiday up in Scotland. So. Oh, already? <laughs> so they That's... broke up. For, yeah, about almost a year now. So, um, Great. yeah. Scotland always bucking the trend, aren't they? Especially. Yeah, I know. To... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I am meaning to visit Scotland as soon as as soon as lockdown is over, inshallah, because it's it's definitely a And last and not least, we are also joined by Fatah Hassan. Um, she is a writer who aspires to publish a novel. She's regularly on Twitter um, at Fata, which we can share a social media handles a bit later, uh, posting memes as well as discussing her love of reading. Um, as an avid reader, Fata maintains ties with the publishing industry by reviewing books and talking about her journey towards her first novel, which is um, amazing and fantastic. Assalamualaikum, Fata. Alaikum assalam, everybody. Thank you for having me, Imrana. No, thank you so much. I'm really, really excited uh, just to just to talk about this amazing, amazing book. So, cut from the same cloth. Um, I guess maybe we should start off with um, Sabina might be a good place to start. And I just wanted to know what was the inspiration behind behind this anthology? Um, wow, that's a good question, Imrana. <laughs> I think you know, rather than a light bulb moment, it was more of a kind of chipping away over the years. Um, I think all of us here can relate to the fact that, you know, we see tired stereotypes of Muslim women all the time. Um, and I just thought, I, I never see the Muslim community that I know and love. I, I never see us fully represented. Um, and even with the book, really, you know, people have asked me why I cut from the same cloth with a question mark. And it's a provocation. It's an invitation to, to readers, whoever you are, to actually really think about who it is you think a Muslim woman is. You know, in the media we see, a, you know, oppressed stereotypes or we see women in places like Luton who were hounded by media when just doing things like, you know, their grocery shopping. You know, if you look, if you open a newspaper, you think Muslim women are just in Britain. All they do is, you know, hover around greengrocer stores all day. Um, and also it's about who we think is synonymous as a Muslim woman. You know, is it an Asian woman in the Shawal community? Because that's not, you know, I am an Asian woman, but that's not, you know, who I think of when I think of the Muslim community. So I just wanted to um, to, to widen the pool of what we had available um, for Muslim women to see. And also, you know, you mentioned your daughter. I myself have um, 
a teenage daughter, among others. And uh, I just wanted, I wanted her and her generation to have something where they could feel like, oh, I recognise this. This feels more like, you know, the Islam and the Muslim women that I know. Yeah. That yeah. was inspiration. Yeah, and it's a beautiful inspiration, I think, I think to have. And um, yeah, I mean, just to echo what you're saying in terms of, uh, I guess, the Luton context, obviously, which a lot of our listeners will be able to um, uh, relate to. And it's true, it's it's that kind of um, binary. And it's really odd because it, it is that thing of the, the typical Asian-looking woman, or is it, you know, complete, uh, you know, it, like, for example, like you said, Miss or maybe it's somebody who's just wearing, uh, you know, what people keep just saying, oh, it's a burqa. And, you know, it's it's such a strange way, you know, existence, I think, just to be kind of sort of into very strange, <laughs> strange whatever uh, identities and, and things like that. But, but yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm really glad that you that you shared that. Um, now, in terms of maybe looking at um, the, the contributions to the anthology, so if we, if we go maybe to Suna, um, what was that process, like what was your um, intention to wanting to kind of contribute to, to the book? And yeah, I guess, what, what were you hoping to, to achieve through that? Okay, um, yeah, it seems like a while ago now, because as you probably know in Run, it was a long process since Sabina mm. and her team put the call out. And um, I only saw, I think, I'm sure they used various platforms, but I saw the one on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So um, I saw that uh, sort of really captivating sort of her tweet, and I suppose there was a few tweets about representation about our space our experiences and something authentic but again it was a while ago so I can't remember exact wording here Um, and it immediately did take my attention because I had just a couple of years earlier been uh, writing researching and interviewing actually um, Muslim mothers and writing about their experience and it really was something that I just thought I've only touched the even less than the tip of the iceberg doing that. There's so much more. And so when I saw this um, anthology call out and I thought that's another space where I really would like to share a bit more. Didn't actually know what the details would be, but yeah, as I inquired, um, found Sabina, you know, mashallah, just really open and the, the lack of boundaries that she had in terms of what we could submit and, and her team. I think there was three of you, Sabina, correct me if I'm wrong, um, who kind of um, ideas out and they had a very good I think what got me as well was they had a really good video that they'd made about them discussing uh, the idea and, and the ideas that uh, for this book um, and I watched that and I thought oh gosh I really would love to you know, if I've got something useful to say I'd love to contribute but again it was very much from mum head in me, the motherhood head, because that's the space I was in. I suppose it's the space I'm in all the time, but in terms of writing, that's what I was writing about a couple of years before this. So, yeah, it just seemed like a natural thing. Um, and the submission process was very, very pleasant, easy, non-stressful <laughs> when I compare it to some other publishing pursuits I've had. So, yeah, alhamdulillah, very, very straightforward. Over time, getting quite a few opportunities to update if people wanted to. um, You know, yeah, I haven't really. I think the lack of anything to say about submission process is actually a really positive thing, (laughs) because it can be a nightmare, and it wasn't. It was very good, very. And I think 
the edit, uh, Sabina and um, those involved at Unbound went for uh, breadth and they went for uh, representation in, in the whole variety. So that provocative question of being cut mm. from the same cloth, obviously everyone's not in the book. And I think that's something that's a real strength of their um, selection process. I don't know how many they've selected from. I'll leave that to Sabina. <laughs> That's fantastic. And and I think, yeah, I mean, what I'm kind of getting from what you're saying is, and I guess it, that's what it takes, that one step towards creating the platform, because, you know, like I think Sabine has touched on those stories, I guess, in some ways are already out there. Um, and there, there's, because of that lack of access or lack of opportunity and, and things like that, I think, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's wonderful to to be able to do that for so many different writers, like you said, in the breadth of, of content um, as well as is is really, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's important to be able to do. Um, so coming to um, uh, Hadija, so obviously in terms of reading um, the introduction by Sabina in the book Cuts on the Same Cloth, um, just at the end, um, she, she just says that, so when this opportunity arose, I grabbed it and gave only one prerequisite to my sisters and co-authors, write what you want. So what was your response to, to that and, and how did you kind of decide what you wanted to write about? Oh, right. Um, that's quite interesting. You're asking me that question because, um, I think, I mean, I don't know, um, maybe obviously since Sabine is the person at center of all this, but I, I feel like out of everybody, maybe I was given a little bit of a brief, <laughs> um, oh. in the sense that I was quite a late addition to this collection. Mm. And I think, um, it was at a point, um, where not, not just, yeah, I think, gosh, wow, it feels like a long time ago now, maybe a year or so ago, um, when we're in the middle of all the pandemic, the first sort of um, lockdown, and uh, when, when Sabine asked me, well, you know, we'd really like to have something reflecting on the pandemic, because it's coming out right in the middle of the pandemic. So, um, but that was all, that was the only brief I was given. So I, the rest of that was, was my decision. And um, yeah, I was, I was very... Um, uh, privileged and, and, and touched to, to be approached to, to be involved with, with all these wonderful sisters, many of whom I know personally, um, and, and some who I've really enjoyed getting to know. Um, it's really, um, you know, I really do want to underline what a, what a strength the diversity of these contributors here um, is, and on what a beauty it is. But I think for me, the, the reason why I tried to focus on um, Ramadan um, in the pandemic and my it was a quite a personal um, reflection I mean I, I wasn't speaking um, I was very much speaking about my own experience of Ramadan in the pandemic but because these were thoughts that were really um, buzzing around in my head at the time I mean I'm I'm personally invested in the idea of cultivating and nurturing safe spaces um, in our community and it's something I focus on in my research as well um, so I guess we all sort of draw on what it is that we're, we're, we're um, sort of in the thick of when we come to write. And I think I was really struck by the very, the, 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 how impoverished some of the conversations were in our communities around what Ramadan would look like um, under lockdown and just how tone deaf some of the comments were that I was hearing from, from men. Um, and I wanted to document that really and give a, an, an, a window into how I was processing that as somebody who, and, and you know, this is something that's not exceptional, all, all mothers I know, um, experience Ramadan in isolation or semi isolation. Um, you know, that's not a new experience for us. And so I, I sort of wanted to put that out there. 
and again be provocative i guess um, but also to validate what it was that you know i mean we we bear these um difficulties or these restrictions and constraints often in silence with nobody really to listen people don't give us the time of day uh, to talk about them we feel like we're being a pain to talk about them because or we feel like we're, we're being bad mothers you know um uh so i i i wanted to validate that and give that space for people to talk about these issues and these um, difficulties and, and tensions that they feel. Yeah, no, and thank you for the validation because I feel I was reading it and thinking, I'm so glad someone's just, just written it and just been honest. And, and actually, it's conversations I've had with lots of um, mothers, especially because, you know, the fact that you're focusing on Ramadan in, in the pandemic. And um, obviously, we, we'll, you know, we're going into a bit more detail a, a bit later on, but, you know, what you said about, you know, um, yeah, I guess our conversations in some ways are definitely impoverished and because we don't get those opportunities to speak. And I think that's what's so wonderful. So reading the book, um, I mean, it's nice to hear that, you know, you probably know many of the contributors, but for me reading, thinking, wow, you know, that, you know, kind of almost feeling a bond to, to people that you've not mm -hmm. met because you've got that shared experience. Um, you know, it was, it was really, uh, it was just a lovely feeling, I guess, just to, just to, to read a book and, and have that. That sense. That's really beautiful. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, coming to you, I mean, I'm talking about the fact that, you know, having that bond and feeling something. I read yours, I was like, oh my God, it's so true. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you know, been through this. I know, you know, women still going through the, the, the whole whole of can I talk to a guy now? So um, what, what, why did you want to talk about this in, in particular? Was that something, you know, obviously it must be personal to you, but what were you hoping that, you know, readers would, would kind of get from it as well? Um, well, for me, while I was writing this out, I was like, I think through my, I was in university, so I think it was my second year. And funny enough, I wrote this before in complete anger, I think, after coming back from my wedding. And I was just on the, on the keyboard, just like, you know what, I'm going to do this, I'm going to say all this, da 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 and while I was writing it, it was after a conversation I had with our family and friends and the internet and we were making little jokes of us, like telling uh, like our parents and aunties, telling us, no, don't talk to boys, it's hard. And then as soon as you're graduated or as soon as you've got a diploma on your hand, it's, where's the special man that's supposed to whisk you away on like a white horse and take it away? Yeah. And it was the complete like opposite for me. And it was my father who was telling me, no, uh, finish your degree, make sure you work, and I was like, okay, so there's two sides to the story when it comes to can I talk to guys, like especially from the standpoint where you have your dad that's telling you, you know what, just forget about it, turn the back of your head, and then like you have your mum's friend, and they come over for PT, and you kind of sit, when you're age appropriate, you come and you listen to the conversations going on, and you're like, wow, so this is what happens when you grow like a bit older and you get to puberty, you hear aunties are very specific in what type of man you're supposed to be looking to. And it's also the frustration where it's like, so you need to tell me I could have been dating in high school or I could have been dating in college. I know it's haram, but like I could have been getting, you know, some miles in and practicing or something like that. And it's also the fear as well, because you're just told, no, the men are the goofy men, don't talk to them or guard yourself, your modesty, your chastity. And now they're just like, go explore into the world. And, you know, and it's quite scary at times. And, and it's frustration because you don't have someone telling you, okay, there are collective guys which are good, and there are collective guys which are bad, and there are the ones, you know, who want to do other stuff with you. And it's like you're just you're left into the jungle. Mm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think it, it is that there's so much, I guess, to even unpack in 
the essay and, and what you talk about because it does touch upon so many different things in terms of you know just cultural expectations but just wider you know society as well and and even you know we talk about gender segregation you know within our communities what does that actually mean what's the impact of it and um oh. but yeah i mean I, I love the way that you just kind of brought, brought the essay together and the way it was written and i think you know loads and lots and lots of regardless of age i think we're, i'm sure yeah. we like relate to it um so in terms of maybe just coming back to um sabina for, for a moment so um suma mentioned unbounded so could you talk a little bit about that process and, and how that's that was different to you know maybe a different type of book being published yeah, so it was definitely a non-traditional route, um, and I think that probably speaks a lot to the state of the publishing industry, to be honest with you, and what they deem as marketable, marketable Muslim women, um, and that's not us, <laughs> you know, that's not people who look like us. Um, so yeah, Unbound are a crowdfunded publisher, so we, we crowdfunded um, to get this book made, and for me that feels even more special, you know, it was a hard process, it was a long slog for us, don't get me wrong, but um, it's lovely for me to look at the back and see the contributors and, you know, see people that you know, people that you don't know, see all these names at the back of these people that invested in you and, you know, actually said, we do want to hear what you've got to say. Um, and we started the crowdfunder in, in Ramadan and we completed it in the last 10 nights of Ramadan so and we got the book in Ramadan so it felt like such um such a wonderful way and such a positive journey so yeah for me the process you know it turned out well I think for all of us didn't it so it's so nice to hear and I think that you know yeah and then there's definitely a blessing in it I think the intentions of what the the, the reason I guess behind the book it definitely comes through I think for myself as a reader um, so yeah, and I think the only other, it, there's kind of I guess a parallel to the good immigrant, isn't it? Because you know the, the fact that that was also from I know like crowdsourced, and and you're right, you know, in terms of um, being a mirror, holding up a mirror really to the publishing industry. Um, and do you think there'll be much change though? Um, I mean, I don't know in terms of now that this book is out there and it's you know being received well. Do you think that that will have any impact on on the way publishers see? what you called um, marketable misdemeanors? I mean, I'd like to say yes, but publishers look at, the, they look at figures, they look at what sells. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we're coming up even now with things in our book. So we're seeing that in bookshops, it's being listed in the sociology department or the academic department, because of course, you know, you know, that's what Muslim women are, social science, <laughs> you know, something yeah. to be studied or researched. So, um, you know, and invariably, if we're in those sections, you know, we're not next to the till, we're not selling loads. Um, so, I mean, I'd like to say yes, but mm. no. <laughs> I think no. Be <laughs> no, no, fair enough. And yeah, gosh, it's interesting because you don't even think about that. So, because it, it's not even just about okay, getting the book out there. It's like where is it going to be placed in, like literally, you know, it, it, literally, you know, physical terms. So that's yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, so maybe I'm coming to um, a bit more information and um, about the essays themselves. Um, so Suma, you, your essay is the cartography of motherhood, um, and it was wonderful just reading your work because I read your previous work as well, and it really does feel like you're kind of taking everyone on a journey. And, and the way that this was written in particular was, was nice to, and lovely to read. Um, but you speak about 
the fact that, as a Muslim mother, part of that parenting is kind of damage limitation. Um, so just, I was just wondering if you could maybe expand on that for, for our listeners as well. Sure, yeah. <clears throat> I just, um, a, a really minor point, but it, it's important as well, Imrana. It's called a, catog- a cartography of motherhood because it's just my journey. Ah. So I wouldn't want to say it was um, universal. Yeah. I wouldn't want to speak on anyone else's behalf Thank at you. all because every one of us has got a different um, experience. But yes, in terms of coming back to your question, the um, damage limitation. Yeah, I think I've actually written that somewhere there as well in the middle of it. Mm. I think this works on several levels. Um, are we going to add to that now? Okay, it works yeah, on sorry, several just, levels. Yeah, yeah. Parents are always trying to sort of protect their children. So I'll expand on it when we come back in a moment. Is that all right? Fantastic, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad we have the virtual Zara screen, which is always good for me because I do forget. I get so, I get so um, into the conversation, and um, yeah, we're going straight to adverts in about thirty seconds. So you are able to yeah grab yourselves a cup of coffee, maybe some biscuits if you want to be naughty, um, because I always tend to do that. It's the only reason I have tea, so I can have something sugary with it, which is really, really terrible. Uh, we are talking today about cut from the same Muslim women on life in Britain um, and we're going to continue talking about that after the break and talking a little bit more in detail about the lovely essays so we'll see you in a few moments Assalamu alaikum this is Atif Nawaz listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify <laughs> And welcome back to the Book Club Show on Inspire 105.1 FM. I am your host, Imrana Mahmood, and today we are discussing Cut from the Same Cloth, Muslim Women on Life in Britain. And I'm really pleased to be joined in the virtual studio by Sabina Akhtar, who's the editor of the anthology, Dr. Hatija Al-Shayal, Sumadin, and Fatah Hassan. Um, we were just talking before the break about well, many different things, I guess, the idea of representation uh, when it comes to missing women, but specifically visible missing women, the way that we're quite compartmentalized, I think, when it comes to identities. We touched upon a little bit about the publishing industry, and um, we, I think, probably would agree, many of us, that there's probably still a long way to go. Um, but still, I guess, step by step, alhamdulillah, you know, small changes um, can uh, make eventually big differences, inshallah. Um, and just before the break, Suma was talking about um, her essay that she's written in this anthology, which is a cartography of motherhood. And actually how important it is that I'd actually said the cartography, but actually it's not, and it's important. Um, I wonder how much of that I was projecting on myself, thinking I love this essay so much, it has to be, it has to be there. It was probably, that, that's probably why um, the, the typo is there. But if we go back to Summer then, just to talk a little bit about when it comes to parenting, and you mentioned in your essay about um, damage limitation, and and yeah, what, what, that, what does that actually mean? And um, what impact does that have on not only our parenting, but also um, the children, the next generation we're trying to raise? Yeah, really, really good question, Imrana, because it is something that we don't talk about every day. And that's why I wrote about it, partly because parenting is, by its nature, it's a lot about protecting, nurturing, educating. That's just universal across the globe. But when we look at what we're doing, and when you hear what 
other parents are doing and they've all got their own challenges depending on where they're coming from you know where, how they're situated in their community everybody has challenges so I'm not sort of belittling one but as a Muslim parent when you're parenting from a faith perspective and that is um, the main identity for a lot of us then it it becomes a journey of trying to protect your children while keeping them informed and knowledge, knowledgeable about the world, the faith, um, from a lot of the assumptions, a lot of the sort of media stories, a lot of the events, and a lot of the quite damaging um, stereotypes about them that are out there, and which you can't, you know, you can't shelter them from. They are going to encounter them from, sometimes from nursery upwards. I hesitate rather not nursery, but actually there are several stories about you know, very damaging assumptions made about questions and comments to little children and their parents right from the youngest age. So while it's not the most sort of positive slant on motherhood and raising our children, it's so necessary that we as a community actually talk about it. And more than that, which is what this book gives, is an opportunity for those who are not in our community to understand what we're going through and how we are navigating, coming back to damage limitation, how we're navigating our children's lives so that they hear about atrocities around the world. They can't, we can't stop them hearing that, but how we then have to buffer that, explain, distinguish between our faith and crime, um, Re, keep rebuilding their identity, keep resurfacing, you know, and smoothing over, not denying what goes on in the world. It's not about that, especially when we've got teenage children, you know, and they, they're growing older. They, they will always know what's going on. But there's this constant work, and it falls into different zones. I often think of it like, um, you know, like the underground zone map. Um, so we've got, like, there's a whole zone of racism, which our children generally will face anyway. That's almost like a given, sadly. Then there's like another zone of the media headlines, which they encounter, whether it's radio, print, online. Then there's like another zone of what they're going to encounter through the education system. We, we mums, have to navigate that. And by mums, I'm using it Loosely, I mean the main carer, whether that's grandmother, auntie, dad, uncle, whoever's the main carer. They have to constantly be navigating these zones. Then there's like another big zone of government policy. So we're looking at PREN and that lens, which again our kids are part of and again is very much part of our parenting. When you talk to a mum who doesn't have to deal with all this, but who has, you know, the normal parenting challenges, that's when I've often stopped and thought, oh, my goodness, I'm, you know, I want to write about this. And I, I definitely do talk about it to just about anyone who's willing to listen <laughs> because it's so important. It's so important. And I feel that it's just so many zones and layers we are constantly navigating that, A, it has an effect on our well-being, and our own, like, just, yeah, just mental wellness, you know, because you're, you're negotiating all this plus the, the other big suitcase of parenting anyway, mm. be carrying both. And B, it has many layers of effects on our children. And so many, it's just like one of these sort of academic 
something that Khadija could probably enlighten more on. Like the whole, it's a whole study mm. of the effects on our university age children, secondary school age children, primary school age children. There is an effect on them because they ask us questions. They ask, you know, and Sabina's actually, you know, put this really raw examples in her essay. I'm so glad she did. And it actually brought me to tears when I read it. And I was in public, Sabina, so you should put a little um, <laughs> warning on your essay um, because it's the sort of questions her children ask her. When they saw it, she couldn't stop them hearing and seeing the abuse she's felt, had as a mum when they're just around her, you know. They're on the yeah. train, on the tune, yeah. they're at Eid, I think, in her essay. And so there's just so much of this that we have to limit the damage that is done on us as a family, as parents, as children, as a community. And it's not a, coming from a victim place. I feel it's actually coming from a, a place of strength and a place of being really proactive. So, you know, I wouldn't be silenced about this because someone says, oh, you're just, you know, moaning all the time or you're just saying this is um, what you suffer. There's a lot of other types of suffering. It's not about that. It's about yeah. saying, this is how we are parenting, and it needs to be acknowledged and understood, and then we need to move forward with positive ways to deal with it, okay? So, yeah, I'll stop there. I'll never stop talking about motherhood. <laughs> no, no, thank you. No, I think you're right. I think because we, especially Muslim mothers as well, just kind of get brushed with, you. I mean, we become invisible in, in some sense because we... Some of us choose to maybe, you know, leave our career, take a career break or whatever it might be, and suddenly we're, we're on the fringe. And I think that was mentioned somewhere as well. Um, and actually, yeah, I mean, this damage limitation, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going through it now. I think seeing, you know, having, well, yeah, seeing that transition post 9-11, whereas before I was just seen, you know, for, for the, the colour of my skin, but suddenly I was now, as a Muslim woman, and that kind of, the, the shift in racism, obviously, it never left. It's it's still here. And now, at least, we've coined this term of Islamophobia, which makes it feel a bit more like you can really speak up, uh, speak more about it, maybe in some sense. Um, but no, I mean, what you've mentioned, yeah, it's important. We we need to we need to be able to read about these things because so many of us are, are going through it. So um, no, thank you for for sharing that. Um, and I think maybe just slightly on the flip side. So we're talking obviously a bit about Muslim mothers and parenting, and Fatah yourself, obviously, you're I'm assuming much younger than many of us here. Um, so in terms of, you know, we talked a little bit about your essay and, and that kind of um, journey to, to marriage, you know, for those of us who, you know, want to get married, etc. Um, what do you think needs to change in, in, um, to make that process a bit more, I don't know, smoother? I don't know if that's the right word, but what, what, yeah, what change would you like to see? Um, for me, it's more of, as a community aspect, so I do believe that we shouldn't shy away from talking about like dating because essentially what you're letting your daughter do is go on a date. I know technically and essentially we do consider it like harm and stuff like that with or without sharper, but it's knowing what like teaching people what consent is, what they should prepare for, good and bad. Like I've been on dates and some of them don't turn out as great, but I have no one which I'm able to tell, oh like mom, this happened to me or like even that just happened to me, and it's like the fact that I have to like sneak out, or pretend I'm going to the library, or sorry if I'm giving away people's secrets, but you know I have to pretend I'm doing other activities. But the fact that you need to be able to tell an adult, and an adult supposed to tell you A, B, C, this is going to 
London, but they've been going to cafes and other people's houses, and maybe they've done more group dating. However, our dating scene's a bit different, and we have like friend or friend, or we talk to the internet, but it's us telling, like, me to to my mum, I'm going out today, but not having to lie to her. And the fact that we need to tell younger girls that, you know, there are certain aspects of dating which you guys need to be aware of, and it's not always hidden, like, um, hidden under the carpet and being told it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, to the point where there are girls who have anxiety talking to, you know, men, and even for me in the beginning, I've had so much anxiety and, like, maybe even panic attacks where I don't know what to do, like, there's no handbook, there's no, like, older sister being able to tell you because your older sister is hiding her own love life and she can't tell you what's going on. Or even your auntie who's dating and she can't tell you what's going on. So I do believe in the open, honest dialogue in which parents are able to teach their girls at an age appropriateness, like what's going on in the dating scene and how to like, overcome it and how to find obviously the level of your life, inshallah. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think obviously just for, you know, just for, I guess, inspire, they're going to want me to say, obviously we're talking about halal dating here. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but no, and I think it's, it's so important what you've said. I mean, it actually reminds me of a conversation I've had, um, you know, with, with my father sort of very early on when I became a, a mum. And so, you know, dad, like, what do you think is, is the difference between your generation of parents and, and mine? And actually, my, my dad said that you were going to be required to be much more open and honest, literally those words that you've said, um, that, you, you know, and and it's true because the challenges, I guess, our children are facing now and, and um, we, we can't do the same that our parents did or their, you know, their parents did. We, we can't just brush things, like you said, under the carpet and, and we need to be able to, I guess, empower ourselves as parents. Um, and I think that's why, I guess, coming back to cut from the same cloth, that's why it's so important because when you read something, you think, oh, you know what, it feels so much better that I know there's other parents or not even just parents, just other, other women who are going through these struggles. And, yeah. and it actually, I think for me anyway, it kind of, it kind of strengthens your resolve a little bit. Um, so yeah, no, no, definitely. I think, yeah, open and honest is, is definitely something to take away. Thank you. Um, Sabina, maybe if we come to you. So because of what Suma mentioned in terms of your own experiences of, of racism and Islamophobia, I mean, definitely that the essay that you wrote, the fact that it was called Smile made it even more, I don't know, I guess that, that kind of contrast, obviously. And and there's so many things, I think, going around my head. And obviously the fact that, you know, we, we know from the Hadith process and the fact that, you know, smiling is charity. But, but then, you know, the, the things that we experience as well. So I can't remember what my question is, but just for you to maybe expand on that, I guess, a little bit. And yeah, that's a very open sure. question for you. No, thanks, Imran. Um to be honest with you, I wasn't sure if I was going to share that essay. It was so personal, but I really did think to myself, you know, if I don't, if I can't do it here, where can I do it? Mm. And I'm not sure I'd ever write an essay that personal again. But um, I did know as well that these are conversations that I was having in private with friends, you know, and it's it's what Suma said, you know, you, you're, you're scared almost to talk about this in public because people think that you're a victim or what did you do? You know, yeah. <laughs> what were you doing that caused somebody? You know, it's the age-old thing that people tell any woman. You know, what did you do to make this thing happen? Um, so I think, yeah, from the perspective of as well, my kids, I thought I need to, I need to vocalise what's happening, 
and I need to document it and I need to have a have a space for me to actually find out what my thoughts are on it and I think I say in that I say I don't have the answers but what I needed was a space to just explore what was happening um, and to have that conversation so for me that's what my essay is about yeah. it's just having that space yeah and I think it's you know I guess it's quite important that you've said that I mean the essays aren't necessarily trying to come up with solutions are they it's very much about everybody just sharing sharing yeah I guess their, their feelings onto onto paper for other people to you know yeah I don't know just to have that sense of validation which I know we, we've we've spoken about before um so then maybe linking you know some of that um epithedia obviously to your essay that you spoke a little bit about um the fact that you touched upon um you know Ramadan during the pandemic um specifically so do you think um that the wider community, and I know when I sent you the, the questions, I put in brackets men because that is definitely, I think, when I talk about the wider Muslim community, we automatically that is what it is because obviously we're not the wider Muslim community as, as women. It does feel like that sometimes. Um, do you think then that um, things are going to improve because obviously there's a whole thing about, you know, women not being granted, you know, access to, you know, the, even just the masjid, just the mosque? So do you think there'll be some change now that men have experienced some of what we have in the past? Um, again, you know, this kind of takes me back to Savina's response to your question about publishing. You know, I'd, I'd love to say yes, but to be absolutely honest, I, um, you know, I, I think I'm at a stage in my in my life where, you know, optimism is great and it's good to be hopeful and to work towards, um, you know, um, a better world. I, I don't want to take away from that at all. And I think that's something I'm very much invested in. But also, I need to see concrete sort of um, goodwill, at least intention and evidence that, that you know, people want to change. And I'm not seeing that. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm somebody, I say this as somebody who, um, you know, I talk a bit in the essay about um, about people at the center of communities and people at the periphery of our community spaces. And, um, you know, as women, we know that we are constantly at the margins of our community for various reasons. Um, and of course, that's not our only challenge. Again, we've talked about, we've talked about layers of, 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 of difficulties and hazards that we have to um, navigate, um, you know, in the wider society, in, in sort of our, our children's education. Um, but even even the sort of what should be our safest haven um, of our community spaces, our family existences, um, there are there are difficulties there. Um, like our mosque institutions and this kind of thing. Um, in in terms of just act, not just I mean access is one way of looking at it. And I part of me is a little bit um, you know the conversation about women's access to mosques. It's taken on a life of its own, and I'm a little bit concerned about that because it's very easy to reduce our marginalisation in our communities just to that. Uh, there is so much more to it, um, and I think you know women claim spaces. Um, if you look at mosques, even mosques where Muslim women don't necessarily have an adequate place to pray, often you'll find actually the people who are doing a large chunk of the volunteering, a large chunk of the fundraising, or the donation, the, everything in the, behind the scenes are actually women. And they're not seeing the fruits of what they're putting into those communities. Um, so it's it's really not just about sort of access to a prayer space. It's about something much, much more holistic than that and I think it's a long while yet before our communities really grasp 
that and think about things in a much more joined up way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you know, this in this essay and other work I do, I'm trying to sort of make a dent in that. Um, and I know so many other women who are, um, but it feels like it's still quite a long road ahead, if I'm absolutely honest. Mm, sure. Yeah, and it's and I think what you said about that kind of wider context is is definitely important. And you're right. I think sometimes we we do we I mean even I do you know um, the fact that you know put things into um, yeah I guess just put, look at things in isolation I guess which is not necessarily the the way to look at it. It is about mm. looking at that bigger picture and, and seeing what yeah when we talk about access or we talk about you know and, and then I guess that actually that the overarching thing is is that sense of um, our spiritual existence, which I think comes across in the book quite a bit, you know, because regardless of the the worldly, you know, struggles, it's it's very much about actually how we're doing whatever we can to be closer to our Creator, you know, whether that's mm-hmm. through hijab or activism or you know through um, you know being parents, etc. And that definitely comes through in 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 all the essays. Um, so maybe one of the last questions um, to just focus on a little bit is kind of connected to um, Sabina's. Um, uh, Sabina's essay, Smile, in which she says, you know, to be gaslighted, to be expected to put up with violence by state or stranger, to abandon or become distracted um, from my religion, you know, that's kind of linked to the experience of Islamophobia. It kind of made me think actually about Toni Morrison when she said that, you know, um, the very function of racism is distraction. And I wondered actually, do we, do, do any of you maybe feel or agree that all of what's being done to us is maybe in in some sort of twisted way to distract us from practicing our being and being you know, like our, our full selves. Um, so I don't know if you know, did you, did you want to maybe just have a short response to that? And yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I I, I think uh, there are ways of looking at there are different ways of looking at this, and I think I, I I would, you know, of course there are things that are being done to us, and there are things that we can allow that, that are being done sort of in spite of us um and we can allow those to distract us other things you know that have been done as a way of overlooking us so like for instance when i talk about you know i would make a distinction between sort of um uh, state securitization program which targets muslims and and and, and westernizes muslim women in a very explicit way and the negligence and self-centeredness of muslim men in our communities for instance i would make a distinction between that i mean both of them are harmful to us but uh, I wouldn't uh, portray Muslim men um, in, in, in that light at all um, uh, on a post state or anything like this. But I think, yeah, it does. I mean, it's something I wind up with in, in, in my own um, piece, and I know other people touch about it, touch onto it as well. But, you know, ultimately, you know, it's something I, I, I like to, when I, when I get bogged down, you know, with things, the, the challenges, I, I remind myself that, you know, we enter this world on our own. And we will leave it on our own, and we will stand before Allah on our own. And um, you know, if if I'm waiting for people to give me space to sort of uh, have a spiritual Ramadan, um, then really I've got my I've got there's a something warped in my sense of you know how I approach this whole exercise. Um, you know, it is about centering Allah and centering yourself, and that's not to sort of let people off the hook or let structures off the hook because we do have to hold them accountable and we do have to fight for our rights and stand up against injustice that's been enacted towards us and others, but also to continually come back to that, that center, which should be Allah um, and, and our own sort of focus on our sort of own spiritual growth and our own well-being, and that is within all of our grasp. Um, I'm not sort of, again, shrugging off the difficulty 
that of do, you know like obviously doing such nourishing one's own spirituality in a community can be easier than doing it in isolation so there are i'm not sort of brushing that away but um just having that sense of uh perspective um uh, you know give, again gives us validation and does away with the sort of gaslighting experiences that we have to contend with yeah thank you no no definitely um Fata, did you want to come in on that question that do you feel that some of it is a distraction from from being our full selves or do you have any comments about that um yes i do see it as that especially i think when you're kind of especially in the younger generation because you see it as like self-love you see it as not cool especially when it comes to like fashion and modesty and like being able to do what everybody else is able to do you kind of start to disregard yourself and you start to forget yourself and kind of let yourself go so i do believe it's quite hard in a in like in the culture where i come where we all come from it's very community-based so thinking everything as individualistic and a dog eat dog world and i have to look out for myself you do start to forget what the message is as a ummah and how we need to all become like obviously we need an energy about you know as a body and stuff like that but i think a lot of people do forget even if you stub your toe the nerve receptors hit everywhere and we all end up feeling it so i do believe that there is some individ individualistic um societies in which we do become a bit distracted and we all are very look away look away just focus on yourself yeah yeah, no, definitely. I think that's important. You're right. I think because everything um, being so individualistic and that's the kind of society is that, I guess, reminder and and also this thing about renewing our intentions, I think, can be quite important as well. Um, Summer, how about yourself? Do you want to um, a quick comment before we you know, approach the end of the show? So. Summer, did you want to add? Yeah. Sorry, just trying to unmute myself there as well. Um, yeah. Yes, actually, I think there's a lot of distractions out there. And I think we have to learn to be like a sieve in a way, and that's let certain things pass out and go down the sink and keep what is of value and use to us collectively um, and what's going to take us forward. But sometimes, just as a quick response, the hijab is used as a red herring, I think, a lot of the time to distract from more important things. So, yes, a lot of being discerning. Yeah. I think that's one way I'd summarise it. Thank you. And Sabina, literally just a few seconds if you had any last thoughts. Um, yeah, I think what Khadija said is really important to make that distinction between Muslim men and society, wider society in the state. So when Muslim women put anything out into the ether, like the Muslim mosque thing, it becomes weaponised. Um, so we see it becomes weaponised against Muslim men as a way to police them rather than see our needs. So for me, this book, this whole experience is our way of just putting something out and saying, you know, this is us, take it or leave it. And, you know, other people will do what they want with it. But it's just a safe space for us. Yeah, and definitely. It's a good way to end. We do need safe spaces. That was cut from the same cloth. Muslim Women on Life in Britain. Assalamualaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org? And follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.